Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8 through 20 this morning, Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 20, or scan the QR code and it'll take you right to the scripture. Glad that you are here live joining us in worship and those who are joining us online. If you need a Bible, we've got some ushers coming down the aisle, slip a hand up, they'll get one in your hands you can have for this morning, or if you need one at home, you, you can certainly take it. For the past uh, several weeks, we have been reading and studying the words of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, fascinating book. And through his words, we've been able to peek into his life, so to speak, or read his diary. That's kind of what I like to think of it like, like here's my diary, here's all the things that I've experienced and gone through. And he's left nothing hidden. And frankly, I find it refreshing. Uh, Even though his perspective comes from a place of self where he is the main focus. He has reminded us through his ongoing, this ongoing experiment of life where he's tried everything that nothing in this life satisfies. And we try things for a little bit, well, yeah, that worked, and then it doesn't work. And in a nutshell, the first five chapters of Ecclesiastes has taught us these things. Time is the great eraser. Death is the great equalizer. There's nothing new under the sun. Life is like a vapor or smoke that you can't get a hold of. Life is hard to grasp. It's a mystery. Round and round and round it goes. And it always seems like we run out of time. Life is temporary. Death is absolute. Eternity is is undeniable. And judgment is unavoidable. Last week, Pastor Jonas uh, talked to us a little bit about, uh, in the first seven verses of chapter five, about being prepared and being careful when we enter the house of God. Imagine the difference if each of us were just to pause, even on Sunday mornings before we come in and and, uh, before we come to this corporate gathering of God's people and we prepared our hearts. I like what one pastor said on social media this past week in another state. He said, you don't make the decision about your heart uh, on Sunday morning. You make it on Saturday. Just a great reminder that we prepare to come to worship, to seek God. At the end of the service, I'm gonna be using this acronym, P-R-A-Y, praise him for his faithfulness, repent of the things in our lives, ask for his presence and yield uh, to his work in our life. And I'll walk you through that at the end of the service. But imagine if we entered the sanctuary ready to worship in song and ready to learn through the preaching of his word and ready to give back out of the abundance of the blessing that he has given us. What might we experience? I would only hope we might experience what thousands of college students are experiencing right now around the nation. Have you heard about the revival that's happening at Asbury College? Anybody? Yep, several of you. It's okay if you haven't. Um, Here's what the news headlines are saying. I'm just gonna pull a few news headlines. History repeats itself as another spontaneous revival sweeps Asbury University. Another one said, day-long spontaneous revival continues. Another one said, we are witnessing a surprising work of God. Another one says, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. It it began about a week and a half ago on a Wednesday during a chapel service. It was just a regular chapel service, an hour long. They they had worship time. They had a speaker. Nothing, you know, incredible. Just, it just, they just had this. And then, and then students just stuck around after the chapel service and they continued to worship and they continued to pray. And now we're about 250 hours in. Hansen and, and Woodbridge say in their book, God's Size Vision, it may be that what we classify as revival, the apostles understood as the church's expected posture towards God. 
one another and the world around them. If so, then we might understand revivals as times when Christians remember and embrace their calling by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. A revival leads to this renewal or awakening. In fact, if, uh, the first great awakening in the 1700s, it gave birth to this evangelical movement. And about 50 years later, there was what we call the second great awakening. And it led to social reforms and, and religious movements. In the mid 1800s, there was this guy, Jeremiah Lanfear, who began to pray over his lunch hour. And in the first week, six people showed up. And about a year later, there were 10,000 people who had committed to pray every day over the lunch hour. In 1906 to 1915 was the Azusa revival in Los Angeles, which birthed the Assemblies of God movement. The Jesus movement I mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, took place in the late 60s and through the mid 70s. And it was a counterculture movement among youth that attracted the margins of society. And, and so they kind of pressed in on the hippies and the, the other Jesus freaks. And they made things really uncomfortable and contemporary praise and worship music was birthed out of this movement as the youth pressed in on, you ready for this? The safe and assumed secure evangelical church. Praise God for youth. Um, by the way, the Jesus Revolution movie comes out Wednesday if you're interested in, in going to see that. We need the youth of this nation. We need the youth of this church to remind us of what it means to seek God and to walk with him. Sometimes as adults, life kind of just gets in the way and it clouds us and our ability to see and to, and to hear from God. Many revivals in American history have involved the young and have taken place on college campuses. From Yale in the early 1800s to Wheaton in 1950. And then there's the Asbury University Revive Vols, 1905, 1908, 1921, 1958, 1970, 1992, 2006, and now 2023. And by the way, it's spread to many college campuses now. Currently, people are traveling from all over the world uh, to Asbury University, and, and during the evening sessions, they have people waiting two blocks deep uh, to get into a 1,600-seat auditorium uh, to be a part of what's happening. Um, it's spread to Cedarville College and other colleges. It's spread to other countries, Uganda. It, um, it's spread all over around the world, and God is up to something. Um, and I wanted to share this with you for two reasons. I want you to know what's happening uh, in our country. But what we're learning in the book of Ecclesiastes and from Solomon's experiments is that life without God is empty and that it's not the life that God has for us. The pleasures of this world run dry and eventually remind us that everything outside of God is just this chasing. We're all chasing after one of two winds, either the external wind that we believe can satisfy only to discover it, it can't be grasped we can't get a hold of it, and when we think we have it, it's gone. Or the second wind of the Holy Spirit of God that fills us from in and sets our hearts on fire and gives us satisfaction in life that we've been longing for. John 3, 8 says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Which wind are you chasing? All of this, I think, is just a perfect setup for today's message because today's message is Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 20, and it's about money. Money, when we're not careful, can become our God. 
Money can be and money can buy the wind that we chase. Money can lull our heart asleep, believing that it is our savior, believing it's the answer to all of our troubles, that it's the pathway to happiness, everything we, we turn to outside of God to find satisfaction is either directly or indirectly is the it. Wealth and injustice, verses eight and nine. If you see the poor oppressed in a district, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. When enough is not enough, the poor will be oppressed. He begins in verse eight saying, don't be surprised, don't be amazed, don't be alarmed, don't be shocked when you see the poor oppressed. He says this oppression starts with the greedy and the corrupt rulers and, and politicians and officials and kings who seem to never have enough power, who never have enough wealth. Oppression of the poor often filters down from those who rule or those who have power. Solomon is not saying we should just turn our head to the poor or the oppressed, nor is he saying that all poor people are poor because of corrupt rulers. People are poor for a lot of different reasons, right? Loss of a job or, or a major financial setback or laziness or um, irresponsibility. His point is that we shouldn't be surprised when some people are poor because those who have power crave more power and they crave more money, some people. And these first couple of verses are not coming from Solomon's mouth at a party after he had too much to drink and he's just sitting around blabbing. He's speaking from personal experience, and maybe it's even part of a confession, so to speak. After all, he was a politician, a ruler, and a king for 40 years. Whether he was repenting or just making this, this kind of this general observation, in either case, he says, don't be surprised when you are ruled by people whose hearts are never satisfied. Enough is never enough. And secondly, wealth and dissatisfaction. I'll read these verses in a second, 10 through 17. But in these verses, Solomon exposes the root reason that got him and honestly any one of us to a place in our hearts where enough is not enough. And that's what he's gonna expose here in a minute. And what we'll see here in these few verses is that when enough is not enough, the love of money can rob us of peace and contentment. And what Solomon is not saying, this is what he's not saying, Having a lot of money will destroy your soul. But what he is saying is loving it too much will. Caring about it too much, wanting it too much will destroy you. If you want to destroy your present and your future happiness, sell out to the chase of just a little bit more. Listen to the world's message saying to you, you have to have just a little bit more to truly be happy. And that pursuit becomes a treadmill that has no off button. It's distracting and it's exhausting, to be honest. The false guarantee of happiness with just a little bit more is replaced by the guarantee of emptiness and lack of joy. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So remember, he's on this path of this, he's pointing all the stuff out in life. This is meaningless, this is meaningless. And that's what he says again. Solomon says that the chasing after just a little bit more 
is a pursuit that will never and can never satisfy you. You will never make enough money. Verse 11, as good as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The more loot that you have, the more looters want to show up to take care of your loot. They want to get their hand in the cookie jar, right? They want a piece of the pie they didn't make or bake. As goods increase, in other words, the more stuff that we have, when you get more stuff, they want more of it. The more you have, the more the phrase family and friends discount takes on a new meaning, if you know what I mean. Verse 11 goes on to say that when you spend so much time wanting and chasing more, you spend so much time admiring it, right? Looking after it, watching over it, taking care of it. And Solomon says, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Meaning things. There's nothing left to do but just to look at it. What happens to us when no one's impressed anymore? When a person spends so much time and energy trying to get just a little bit more, your wealth and possessions have no advantage to this life. Assets are not always benefits. Things become a greater burden. Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Solomon compares two different people here. The person, uh, a person who works a long day, uh, works hard at a job, goes home and basically just opens the fridge and eats whatever is available to him. It's describing a person who's worked hard, uh, didn't pad his expense report, wrote down the right hours, uh, didn't rip anybody off during the day. This is a person who at the end of the day goes to bed and he sleeps very well. And his point with person one is that peace and contentment cannot be bought. It has no price. He compares the first person who sleeps like a baby with a second person who has difficult sleeping at all. And his belly is full of the finest cuts of meat. His, his garage is full of all kinds of toys. His bank account is full. Maybe even has a storage shed and it's full of all kinds of stuff. But there are still so many things that he longs for. Just a little bit more. More trips more toys, more stuff, not enough hours in the day or week to watch over it, not enough hours to look at it, to take care of it. And so he can't sleep. He's filled with worry, he's filled with anxiety over all the stuff. Person two is a person whose heart is never satisfied. Scotty Scheffler is a 26-year-old golfer who turned pro in 2018 and was the PGA Rookie of the Year in 2020 and the Player of the Year in 2022. Right now, <clears throat> right now he's ranked number two in the world. And I share that with you because he's a strong believer in Christ who seeks God regularly through the reading of the word and through prayer. Caddy says he prays all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I can attest to that. I play golf, I pray all the time too on the golf course. <clears throat> no big deal there. In the new Netflix golf series, Full Swing, they, they kind of follow these golfers, and one of the golfers they follow is Brooks Kepka. And in this series, Brooks is kind of showing on this downward spiral. Uh, the once number one golfer was collapsing 
His, he had all this negative self-talk and discouragement was obvious. He admitted that his mind was always consumed by golf. And in fact, uh, he was asked a question about, you know, conversation with his wife. In fact, they depicted him. His wife was talking to him. He's not listening. He said, all I can think about is golf. It's consumed me. And this is what he said. He said, that kid, speaking of Scotty, I guarantee if you ask him what he's thinking about, he goes, nothing. The best player in the world doesn't have a thought in his head. One golfer who is searching and struggling in life says of another who strives to keep his eyes fixed on Christ. Since its filming, Brooks Kepka left the PGA, signed with Live Golf, the Saudi, Saudi Arabia-backed big money competitor, and his signing bonus was a mere $150 million. I, I don't know their hearts. I can't pretend to know their hearts, um, Brooks or Scotty, but it certainly appears that it, a chasing after the wind, just a little bit more. A life consumed with just a little bit more. Verse 13, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. But see, these verses are not just about the rich and the famous. They're about us. The average everyday people who work hard to make just a little bit more and acquire just a few more things. Even believers are led astray with movements. As an example, the, the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth movement. It's a religious belief among Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And if you don't have money or if you don't have things or you don't have health, then God's favor is not upon you and that must mean you have a lack of faith or, or whatever it might be. But, but the riches and the health are a sign that God has favor on you. And the thought that a legitimate child of God will demonstrate signs of wealth and health and if they don't, they lack faith and are disobedient is the most self-serving attempt to blend greed and God that I have ever heard. These verses along with others remind us that, that God does not reward greed and materialism. He rewards those whose affections are set on him, the giver of all gifts. The biblical account of Adam and Eve in the garden and the fall of mankind introduces to us life's motto in a sense, enough is never enough, right from the get-go. Ever since that dark day in history, our eyes and flesh, if they are not redirected, will always opt for the chase. Satan wanted more, Adam and Eve wanted more, we want more. An angel of God who had it all wanted more. Satan fell from grace and introduced to us that first sin, that it's never enough. I could go back and do some research, but, but to my knowledge, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and Satan comes to them in, in, the, in the form of a, of a serpent and talks to them and, and begins to tempt them, not one time do I think that Adam and Eve ever went, 
hey, do you know where he came from? Does anybody, like, did they ask each other? Like, where did this thing come from? That's talking to us. That was once an angel of God that now crawls on the ground. That once had everything. If we could dissect our sin nature, take it out of us, lay it out on the table, dig to the core, I think what we would find is pride. The dictionary defines the noun pride like this, a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those who, whom one is closely associated, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Hear, hear this statement. When God isn't enough, Nothing else ever has a chance of being enough. Thirdly, 18 through 20, wealth and joy. This is what I have observed to be good. Now he's going to tell us the good. So be encouraged. That is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot that it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days that God has given them. When enough is enough, food and drink taste way better. If you're eating a hot dog, and it's not even one of those really good ones from Costco, you know, the all beef ones, but if you're eating a hot dog, enjoy it. Even if you're sitting next to somebody who ordered and is eating filet mignon, right? If you are drinking tap water, instead of the person next to you who's drinking filical jewelry water, I had to say a little accent there, I, don't even, I just don't know how to say it without it, but filical jewelry water from Japan, Raise your glass and drink it like it's the best water you've ever had, unless you're in Florida. Florida has bad water out of the tap. <laughs> Do you know what a liter of water, filico jewelry water costs? It's two of these. You can order it if you want it. It's $1,390. Some of you actually probably are wondering, well, Pastor Annie, you're, you spend a lot of money on water, smart water. This is more expensive than some waters. Why don't you just drink regular water? I do. Actually, sometimes this is just a bottle I use. Um, honestly, and not because it's so smart, but because it doesn't crinkle, like when I drink out of it. And some of those, all the other, like when you drink and I, you're sucking or you're crinkling, it's just annoying for you guys. That's the only reason I have this up here. So just set the record straight. When enough is enough, work is better. Maybe it's the job itself, the place you work, the people you work with. When enough is enough. When enough is enough, our perspective completely changes. Verse 19, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. 
When it is from God, you get to enjoy it more. And guess what? Everything is from God. We just have to see it. When all that we have is from God, it gives us present joy. It gives us this eternal joy. We just get to start enjoying it now. Last week, I, I watched a movie on Netflix. And like I said, the first of us, man, uh, you probably think all I do is watch Netflix. Um, it's not true. Uh, but there was a movie, I think it came out recently. It's called The Room. And it was loosely based on a true story about a mom and a child and um, held captive for seven years in a room that was 11 by 11. It was a shed, actually, in the guy's backyard. The little boy was five years old, and, and uh, they'd been captive for seven years. All adults in the room figured that out. They never left this room. So the boy had never seen outside. And every morning when the little boy wakes up, he wakes up like this. He says, good morning, mom. And then he walks around the room. And he says, good morning, chair number one. Good morning, chair number two. Good morning, sink. Good morning, bed. And then when he goes to bed, he does the same thing in reverse. Good night, chair number one. Good night, chair number two. And as hard as it was to watch the movie, I think that's one of the things that struck me the most is the simplicity of this little boy. And it reminded me of actually something that, that God has been stirring in my heart. Um, and I think it's really, honestly, frankly, uh, has to do with the series. And it's not uncommon for me to, uh, to pause and to look at my house and say, thank you, God. I wouldn't have this if it wasn't for you. Or to honestly pause by my car and say, thank you for this car or for my wife, or for my relationships, or my family in this church. We get in the habit of taking so many things for granted. And Solomon says, it's perspective. If you realize and recognize that it's all from God and that God has blessed you and given it to you, give him thanks. As I said earlier, we're chasing one of two winds, either the external wind of this world we believe that can satisfy us or the wind of the Holy Spirit that fills us and sets our hearts on fire. I wanna walk you through the P-R-A-Y here as we close. And just in the quietness of your heart, um, maybe just, just think about the word and, uh, and just do whatever uh, the Lord leads you to do during this time. So the P uh, stands for praise. And so maybe just in the quietness of your heart, you can close your eyes, you don't have to close your eyes, you can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever. But maybe just, um, Take time to just give praise to the Lord for who he is, what he's done, for sending his son, maybe for the things that he has so generously provided for you, your family, whatever God brings to mind. Just take some time and just praise him. The R stands for repent. And honestly, um, it's a little different than confession. Confession is, is to agree with God. Repent is to turn away from things. It's this idea of about face, turning away from it and turning towards God. And yes, if you're a believer, you've been forgiven from as far as the east is from the west, but this idea of repenting is, is to renew, it's to address things that maybe have crept into your life, that have gotten in the way of your relationship with the Lord. 
The A is for ask. Just take some time and ask the Lord whatever he's laying on your heart. Maybe it's just a prayer request you have. Maybe it's for his presence in your life. And the why is for yield. Just take some time to yield to the Lord's work in your life.